0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Hunter Gatherers Podcast. We are back with another exciting episode, this time with author Edith Morante, who wrote a book called The Wind in the Bamboo Journeys in Search of Asia's Negrito Indigenous Peoples. And uh, Negrito is in quotes. I did that with my fingers as I was saying it, but I had to explain it to you because this is an audio program. She joined us from her home in the wild and dangerous city of Portland, Oregon. And it was a really nice conversation. So I hope you enjoy it. First of all, thanks for for joining us here, Edith. uh,
1: Thanks for having me on, Philippe and Tech
0: Yeah, so I've read the book. Uh, It's been a couple of years now. Uh, It's a lot of fun reading it. Well, I know, obviously, also kind of sad uh, when it comes to these sort of things uh, about indigenous uh, situations. But uh, Tekwin hasn't, so and maybe uh, I know Tekwin and I are both familiar with um, the some of the same people that you've that you've visited. So I don't know if you have any questions to start us off, Tekwin. Maybe it'd be good.
2: Yeah, yeah, well thanks for joining us, Edith. So I'm, I'm really quite fascinated about what motivated you to write this book about the, the Negrito and, and to look at all the, the, um, the different countries in Southeast Asia. Um, yeah, how did you first hear about them and yeah, what, uh, what gave you the idea to do the research and come up with the book?
1: So um, the book is called The Wind in the Bamboo, and the subtitle is A Journey uh, in Search of Asia's, quote, Negrito, Indigenous Peoples. And I used to the word Negrito in quotes throughout. It's not really a great piece of terminology. It comes from Spanish for small dark people. Um, You know, there are ways that particular people indigenous to Asia have been defined and these people have been defined by their skin color plus how tall they are and their type of hair over centuries. Um, It's not necessarily a pejorative term, but it, it also has that kind of diminutive quality to it and Um, and it's in Spanish and it's not their language and it's not their choice. Um, I had to use it because they themselves didn't have a term for all of themselves. And many of them at that time in the early 2000s didn't even know that other people like them existed in other places in other countries. Um, So nowadays I kind of refer to them as um, black indigenous Asians. Um, If I had to go back, I might use a term like that. But again, there's, you know, it's really up to them. And the book was written for the general public to tell them about these Indigenous people, but it was also in a way written for them. Um, It has a 60-page bibliography. Uh, It's kind of like a bibliography with a travel book attached to it. And that's because I wanted them to have the resources in the future, you know, that they could use for writing their own history and their own stories. So these are people who are really defined by others, by other larger cultures surrounding them, first Asians, and then in a major way by colonialists and Um, even more so by scientific racism, you know, in the Victorian days, uh, the scientists who were uh, white men had to put themselves up at the top of a chart and somebody way, way, way down at the bottom. And these people served that purpose for them. I mean, there's literally drawings of like a tree of civilization and then you know they would have you know who up at the very top and then they're like a little twig at the bottom for the so-called negritos and um, that's something I found out in the process of writing the book all the history of how they were defined when I first set out to write about it I was coming from decades of work on Burma and Myanmar and working um, on human rights and environmental issues with um, ethnic people there. And I had written two books about it, which were kind of like I was doing Burma stuff. And I wrote a book about what I was doing and what the stories people told me were. But then I thought, well, maybe I'll write about something else. And I had always been intrigued by stories I had heard when I was living in Thailand and Southeast Asia about um, these dark skinned people who lived deep in the forest. Some of them had been taken as servants to the King of Thailand um, in previous centuries. So they were a little bit known in Thailand and some other places. And so in 2007, I thought, well, I'll, I'll go to the places where they live. I won't necessarily ever meet any of them. I really didn't necessarily expect to, but I'll see what it's like there. I'll see what the forests are like. I'll see what the seacoast is like. And so in 2007, I went to Malaysia, um, India's Andaman Islands, and the Philippines, and then the next year – having actually met quite a few of these people and heard their stories from themselves, um, I went back um, to Malaysia and the Philippines. And I also, I took some pictures and I showed pictures of the people in Malaysia, the people in the Philippines and vice versa. And they were really interested and intrigued with that. Um, So that was sort of a major part of what I was doing. And then I went on just a prolonged hunter gathering through all the historical information I could find and obsessively read books and watched films and wrote my own book.
2: Thanks, so th- that's, that's really quite fascinating. And you did manage to uh, meet people in in all three uh, of the, the places that you went to?
1: Um, in the Andaman Islands, the contact was really fleeting, which it should be. Um, there is a lot of concern about some of the groups um, not being exposed or overexposed to outsiders. There was this notorious incident um, in 2018 where American missionary, um, I was going to say his name, but why even bother? Um, he went there um, to make contact where they basically uncontacted. Island group who are known as the Sentinelese because nobody knows what they really call themselves um, and, and died doing it. Um, and there are other groups like the Jarawa that people are constantly <laughs> trying to look at. Um, so it wasn't there to do an observation thing. I had really good contact with environmentalists there, um, Samira Acharya who recently died. Um, Who gave me lots of information. And then I had kind of um, a little contact with a group called the Great Andamanese who are basically urbanized. One of them was actually working as a traffic police woman. And then a chance encounter with a man from the Anji group on a beach. Um, but that was a different situation than in Malaysia and the Philippines. There were completely other ways of meeting people, whether it was from a community meeting or at a health clinic or deep in Taman Nagara National Park. So there were a lot of different encounters. And I got to know people, um, people who are still foraging in the forest and also the first person from the ITA ethnic group in the Philippines who had a law degree. Her name is Wyda Cosme. Um, so all sorts of um, different people from these ethnic groups, which was amazing to have a good array of their life experiences.
2: And, and did, at what stage did you decide that you would write the book? Was it the beforehand or as you were going along?
1: um it was beforehand that yeah this was the first time i actually set out to write a book versus mm-hmm. the burma ones where
0: mm-hmm. things
1: happen and then i feel like i better write about it I've call, sometimes i call it the curse you know when somebody says to you you should write a book about this <laughs>
2: uh-huh. Ah wow. well, well done. I, I haven't read it, but yeah, it yeah, it does sound uh, fascinating. And so, Phil, do, do you want to give uh, having read it yourself? Do you want to give some?
0: Yes, uh, uh, sure. Thoughts? I I was thinking about um, also the the classifier, um, the word, the term, negrito, and so on. And it, it's a word of convenience, uh, and it it has a legacy. Um, and like you said, it. It doesn't necessarily have great connotations, but it does. It's not necessarily um, a slur either. Um, and uh, it, like you pointed out too, that the people don't themselves necessarily group themselves together or had knowledge of each other, and they aren't one people either. However, they do have a uh, similar phenotype, and they have a very similar um, position. Unfortunately, um, in in the greater, uh, in relation to the, the state, um, that they're, they're, uh, engaged with. Um, and that being that they're displaced from the land or, or they're, they're forcibly assimilated, um, and, and so forth, except for the, the Sentinelese. So it's, it is a convenient term for, for us who to speak about them. Um, and I, I, I having met, uh, a few people who, uh, both in Malaysia and in in Thailand. Um, I think there is some sort of, like you, you mentioned when you showed pictures of different groups in different places, there's a, there's an excitement, uh, to, to know that, Oh, there's other people like us, you know, and I, I can relate because, um, growing up, I was, I didn't look like the people around and knowing that there were, other Eurasian people um, to, around it was sort of exciting, you know, even though we weren't necessarily of the same ethnic origin or so so on. But to know that there's other people like like us, was, like me, was was very exciting and, and and comforting, you know. So that that's just something that I wanted to bring up. Um, I don't know if you have any other uh, things to say about that.
1: Yeah, you know, well, well, representation is really important and interesting. And in so many Asian cultures, unfortunately, um, particularly due to multinational cosmetics companies, whiteness is super overvalued these days, um, which then really marginalizes people who have darker skin. I mean, there was just recently a Horrible commercial in Malaysia for about skin whitening. Um, so that was all sort of going on at the same time that that I'm researching, you know, these often extraordinarily beautiful and interesting people, um, who have been just uh, undervalued and made a joke of and there's cartoons of them and all these really insulting depictions um when i was in the philippines i went to a literal blackface festival which you know is just beloved in the philippines you know this yearly thing where people would get on black or brown makeup and grass skirts and um, act out those people handing over the island of um, Panay to the Malays, you know, to the, the whiter uh, Southeast Asians, you know, with great elaborate musical numbers. <laughs> so, you know, what's bad about this? Um so and meanwhile, there were Ati people whose island that was originally, who were literally begging on the sidelines of this festival, where people were dressing up and in insulting costumes of them. So all that was going on, it still goes on. They decided to make it like more cool by like making the makeup brown instead of black the year I was there. <laughs> so um, this stuff doesn't help, and you know sometimes like in Malaysia, people will idolize you know Bob Marley or Beyonce and then you know vilify the black people who actually lived there, who predated them and have you know, according to DNA testing, which is kind of another issue, but um you know fifty thousand years in that region um so yeah, they, they do need a lot more respect. It's not the only thing they need. Um, land rights, I would say, are the number one thing, but cultural respect is up there too.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Go ahead, Taekwine. Uh,
2: I, I agree entirely with that. Uh, it, first on, on the name thing, it's, um, maybe Phil can confirm this, but I heard that the, the Thai have the name for them, uh, they refer to them as uh, rambutan. You know, the fruit with yeah. the ha- the hairy yeah. fruit, and, and they really do object to that. Uh, did, have you heard that, Phil? Yeah,
0: I've, yeah. I haven't. But uh, they do use the term "sakai," which is a yeah. means slave uh, or some mm-hmm. slave connotation, which they don't like. Obviously, yeah. who would it, like yeah,
2: that? in in Malaysia, that. Well, I'm not sure if that was the original term, but that's the term. Uh, that that's the way the the word is used now. So yeah, it's it's be, become very derogatory, and uh, fortunately, the official it's not used um, in uh, any official literature anymore. And I I think in 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 Thailand, well, the, yeah they don't mind being referred to as. Uh, uh, as negrito but they said look we are people we're not the fruit we don't want to be referred to as fruit which I think is is fair enough and I um yeah I my feeling about the term negrito is that in Malaysia fortunately we don't have to use it because we have an equivalent term uh, the term samang um for for that group of people but I, I suppose when we have to talk about the wider Group that includes the Andaman Islanders and the Alta, then, um, yeah, it's hard uh, for, at least from an uh, anthropological point of view, to uh, to come up with the new term. Yeah, I, I like the idea of uh, Black Indigenous Asians or Black Indigenous Southeast well, Asians.
0: That, that, but that uh also implies that um, Asians are not black. So it should almost be that there should be a yellow Asian term and uh, Asian, yeah. the original Asians are, are black by default and we shouldn't have to bring that up. I, I, maybe the original Asians. Is, not
1: only the original Asians, but the original Europeans too, actually. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're totally look like these people do. So, yeah. And um, Samang is a little problematic too, actually that you know that has some slave slave trade
2: roots so yeah well i i looked I into the the word Samang, and it yeah, yeah it, it comes kind of via malay and so it has it's been uh, connected to slavery you're right in the sense that it was used by malays and the malays were involved in the, in the slave trade but the original root actually does come back from a fairly neutral um, uh, Samang word itself in that it's, they think that it comes from a word like Samat, which is, um, it means human or man. And uh, that, yeah, it's, it's a tough one. Uh, for my PhD thesis, I used the word Menra. And uh, minra is uh, yeah. a word that uh, is, that, but, but you know, one of the problems, uh, especially for scientists, is that they don't want to confuse the audience. Uh, they want the, it to be clear who they're referring to in the title of the article. And, uh, and so, yeah, that's a real, real challenge to try and use an unfamiliar term.
0: Yeah, I'm sure we've thoroughly confused everyone that uh, is listening.
1: <laughs> well, well it, you know, the key is that these are indigenous people, you know, who have historically lived in forests and on sea coasts in Asia and who may or may not look d- different from the people around them but have been treated differently.
0: It's, it's interesting that a lot of the um, populations, I imagine, also have uh, – uh, dna or ancestry of the early um or the original peoples of asia and of our entire world so to say um you can see it in the phenotypes of a lot of people in like cambodia and uh i have a filipino friend who claims to have some uh, he, eta or he says Ita um ancestry uh, he, he said that's where he gets his very dark skin from but um uh, whether that not sure I, I I'll take him his word for it. And, but it's uh, unfortunate that, um, that people don't, that see it as um, inferior. And uh, I'd, I'd like to get your thoughts on how um, also European colonialism um, ties into, into the, into those views. I mean, they they were present, Prior to colonialism, in terms of um, light skin versus dark skin, it has to do with being outside, working, and nobility. But um, there, there was, you know, the European colonialism um, sort of uh, put some rocket fuel into that, I think, as well.
1: It did. And especially American colonialism in the Philippines. I mean, they took over from the Spanish and they had to fight their way into dominating the country because people said like okay thank you for liberating us from the spanish now we're free and though they weren't because then they became a colony of the united states and during that war which is a horrendous war that the united states fought over there just for colonization um all the people of the Philippines were referred to with derogatory words that would have been used for black people in the United States of America. Um, They were depicted that way in cartoons um, and they were called the N word constantly. Um, And then that led to other peoples of the Philippines wanting to distance themselves from tribal people who lived up in the mountains. You know, like, no, we're not them. You know, we are civilized people, we're Catholic, we have this European type culture. And so then the people who lived in the mountains got more and more marginalized by that. Um, Some of the Aita people were actually taken to the United States and exhibited in a world's fair. Um, And that was an American way to portray the people of the Philippines as needing civilization, you know, that these were these primitive um, people who needed the uplifting, you know, of our civilizing influence. So all in all, they were literally used um, as part of the colonizing mission of the United States. Um, On the Andaman Islands, they um, were the subject of genocide by the British. The British fought them and then they took them um, to a particular island where they were to be educated and made into servants, and they died. Um, they died of diseases. Um, they were abused. And then all of a sudden, there are hardly any of them left. Uh, so that's on, that's on the Brits. Um, you know, to this day, their, their populations only number in the hundreds. You know, and there were tens of thousands of them before the British showed up. So, so that happened.
0: The um the pressure to the 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 shaming or the insults, even if you're not um, directly economically tied. Uh, well, I guess everyone's sort of in, in, economically tied. I mean, through trade and so on. But the I notice, uh, and Tekwin can uh, confirm this too. Is when you you go to that's it when we visit a village and so on. And, you know, when they're out in the village or wearing clothes and when they, when they feel less um, eyes, foreign eyes on them, that sort of relax, people relax and don't feel the, when they get to know you too, you know, um, that you're not judging them um, for, for not maybe wearing as many clothes as, as a, as uh, as we would in the society, and we, I mean, I I'm susceptible to this too. So the uh, the pressure of shame is unfortunate um, because it has such a strong impact and uh, on people's behavior.
1: Yeah there there was there's also been this, and it's very scientific, you know, um, impulse to use them as a subject um a subject to study often to prove somebody's point about primitive humanity or you know how we used to be or something so they go to these particular cultures they've been like so anthropologized there's so many books of studies about them um you know to use them as an example and you know in some ways the yeah, it's interesting because it preserves cultural things about them so you can know you know their beliefs about um fishing or something but in other ways they, you know they're put so under the microscope that they're not really seen as contemporary humans um so there would often, you know, even up into the 21st century, people would be like shooting around the fact that they were actually, you know, wearing headphones and, um, you know, T-shirts and... um you know, being part of the contemporary modern world. And there was a point when I was in the Philippines, like around Mount Pinatubo and I was taking pictures of some kids <laughs> and they're all like, you know, throwing signs with their hands, um, you know, like making a little hand gesture stuff like people do, or especially did a few years ago when they're in pictures for social media, you know, and I, I was just thinking, like, oh, this is really annoying me. I should tell them to cut it out and, like, <laughs> just, you know, post for a picture. And then I thought, no, I, you know, this is this is 2008, man. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is how they are. I'm not going to, you know, censor around, you know, anything that's part of their part of the contemporary world. Because the opposite has been, the, you know, the case for so long, you know, that they're, like, just this preserved and, you know, Absolutely. amber. Absolutely people well, of the past which is really harmful basically because once somebody is of the past or a vanishing race as the victorians used to say and people still do say um then then you know well they they sure don't they don't need their land anymore they're vanishing
0: absolutely i, I think um Tekun and i um, correct me if i'm wrong but um i mean it's we we wouldn't be doing the podcast if we didn't agree on this is that, um, they're, they are very much contemporary people and hunting and gathering, um, has a place, uh, very much place. It's as modern and contemporary as anything else. And if they, of course they can use cell phones and whatever that there's, there's no, nothing wrong with that either. Um, what i just meant to point out was that the, uh, the there's like the islamic pressure you know oh you're you're dirty you know you're you're um you're not clothed you're sinful so you know you feel shame and people will wear um, they'll adjust to the, the outside pressure just so they don't feel judged you know versus you know continuing uh, in the way that they best see fit for themselves. I mean, obviously they are because they don't want to, they're trying to mitigate the shame or the uh, the judgment of the outsider. But yeah. yeah. And
1: the Christian, Christian hardcore is all over in the Philippines, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's another thing. Yeah. They're, they're like, uh, you know, as, as much as scientists are interested in the missionaries, they're like super interested in these people. Yeah. Which you know, they they bit back in the Sentinel Island incident. Anyway,
0: that's uh brings up another point um that I've been thinking about because I I'd, I'd had these thoughts about you know should I visit you know is that my am I being a disturbance am I being a tourist um, obnoxious and in a way I am being a tourist you know I'm a visitor I'm an outsider I have curiosities um, but what I found uh, is that. It, if, if one is generally interested in people, um, and, and respectful that people are glad that you're there to an extent, you know, they're, they're glad to have you there, especially if they, they feel, um, like they have something to say or are misunderstood. And that doesn't just go for the the people in question, but, uh, people all around the world. I wish some people would visit me and ask me some, (laughs) my thoughts. So, um, but uh, I've, I've seen the horrible end of it, uh, the other side of it too, where, um, uh, you know, th- they really are just a uh, like a human zoo and people picking up babies and posing with them without really, you know, just sort of like assuming that it's okay, uh, you know, handing out candies and so on. It, it, it's It's heartbreaking, you know, seeing that as well. Yeah,
1: um, to Nagara, I said it it was like every day was Halloween because those kids were getting so much candy off the tourists all the time. Um, I hope their parents were keeping some of it away from them, but... (laughs) Yeah, it was like this, uh, you know, and there it was like a very particular part of the national park that was like on the tourist route, which so that kind of served a purpose because they could have a kind of an income and then the rest of the people in the park could do what they were doing.
0: Mm. Mm -hmm. Um,
1: But yeah, they were like this amazing array of tourists traipsing through that particular little bit of the park. Well, I think Constantly.
0: It's, um, it speaks more about us than it does about them. Uh, us being the dominant culture, the the world destroying civilization that uh, we find ourselves in. Um, unfortunately, um, it, it says so much about uh, where we're at that we, we do um, long and, and are so interested in in other ways of living on the planet especially with nature but we can't appreciate it and actually look to them for um insight and also uh, give them respect where they can be uh uh, part and live the way that they choose to in the lands that they've always lived lived in you know whether they want to make a palm oil plantation or if they want to um uh, go on blowpipe hunting, uh, yeah.
1: Probably not much vote for the palm oil part.
0: <laughs> I <laughs> I just threw it out there.
1: Gonna, that's way up there, way up there for the destructive thing.
0: Absolutely, sure. I I don't I put that out there because <laughs> the it uh, was a
1: good extreme, yeah, definitely.
0: Mm-hmm. And and because there's always the. Um, the the I mean what I guess when one talks about these things one is always afraid that people, you know, they always say, Oh, you're romanticizing things and so on and they're gonna want development or whatever. Right. But uh when you actually have experience, I mean these people never have experiences with in generally with indigenous peoples directly and they they just spout the uh the you know, the narrative of our civilization. Um, the civilization's uh, civilize, civilize, civilizing mission, um, but uh, when when one does meet, you know, I've I had you know the answers from reading the books, uh, the anthropological books, and so on. And when you go, when I've met some, when I've met the Mayam, for instance, uh, Tekwin, a f- friend of ours, you know, I asked him, you know, what what would you like, you know, like with, with like the people to know these, continue knowing these skills, you know, like to continue to be able to hunt and and so on. It's, you know, in, in, um, in Thailand, I asked one of the, the men, you know, what, what food tastes better, you know, the food that these tourists give you or the food in the forest, He said the food in the forest is way better, you know, I mean, pretty obvious, but um, I just wanted to hear it, you know.
1: Yeah, the the Agtas in the Philippines and the Jarawas and the Andaman Island, they want it, like they want the forest and they want a cell phone. I mean, that's pretty good, you know? They want they want a little bit of this other stuff and then they want what they do, you know? And um they want to make their own, yeah, their own combination um of things.
0: Taku, do you have any uh I thought maybe we we start talking. We could talk about um, some of the other things that you're involved in, Edith. And but uh, if Techwin if you have any other other questions regarding the uh, uh, the original um, Asian humans, <laughs>
2: oh. I think we've we've covered that nicely. I'd be really fascinated to hear more about the Andaman Islands and. Uh, also
0: uh, the Moken. So, yeah, actually, Edith, you mentioned that something was happening in the Andaman Islands. Um, maybe you could bring that up yeah. if you're not familiar with it. Um,
1: so, uh, and, and not everybody is, even though it was, you know, when that missionary incident happened, all of a sudden, in t- 2018, everybody was looking for it on the map. Um, So this is this group of islands that belong to India. Um, They're actually directly below Myanmar or Burma. Um, And so there's the Andaman Islands, and then south of that there's the Nicobar Islands. And um,
0: we're maybe just talking about sorry the the recent news. You said there was uh, recent news.
1: Yeah, so on these islands, um, there's a variety of people. There's still a few hundred of these original inhabitants hanging on there on various islands. And then there are lots and lots of settlers from India. Um, It was a penal colony in the British days. And so there are some people remnant from that. And then many people who have come from all over India in more recent years. And some of the islands are pretty developed and some of them aren't. The southernmost of the Andaman chain is called Little Andaman. And... um, that used to be the island where the Onge people live, O-N-G-E. Um, it might be pronounced Ongi, actually, but for now I'll say Ongi. And... Um, These people were, again, super marginalized. They were stuck on reserves. Two little pieces of the island was all that was left of their land. Um, They were abused there. They were addicted to alcohol. Um, Palm oil plantations were put in. All kinds of bad things have happened to them over the years. And the... Indian Ocean tsunami hit that island really hard. Uh, the Anji people made it through fine. Um, they knew something was wrong with the ocean, and they you know went inland and there little resettlement villages that the Indian government had made for them were wrecked, which made the Anjis super happy because <laughs> they always hated that. That's not how they wanted to live. Um, but anyway, they live there. Now, all of a sudden, here we are in 2021 and um, an Indian government think tank called NITI Iog <laughs> Um, has proposed that their island become like a Singapore and it will have a financial city and it will have a nature health resorts and a casino and golf courses. And they have proposed that the Anji um, Tribal Reserve be denotified. So... You know, one minute you're down to almost nothing and then the next minute you can be down to nothing. They had a meeting about this um, with the Andamans government on February 4th and now it's been put off till um, the year 2022 because of the pandemic. And it's been widely um, criticized as a really absurd, ridiculous scheme that would never happen. But, of course, we've seen many Southeast Asian infrastructure projects that are absurd, ridiculous schemes. And either one, there's so much money that they happen, or two, there's so much money that they kind of start to happen, wreck everything, tear all the trees down and get abandoned. Um, so yeah right now that's a big concern that something like that could happen there
0: that sounds horrible
1: <laughs> yeah but it's just another horrible thing for everybody to think
0: well about. the the, the, um, the governments um you know they'll make these uh, reserves and put the people there but or they'll say well this is your this is this we've, we've, we've allotted you this and at the when when all the other resources have been uh, destroyed, they'll look there and say, "Well, actually, you know, you need to leave there too." It's, uh, it's, yeah, you know, it's and happened. this
1: is literally what happened in the Philippines on Boracay Island, you know, which is known for like the most beautiful beaches and everything. It's a super tourist destination. You know, and it's a very small island, but that belonged to the Ati people who haven't gotten anything out of it. When I went there in um, 2008, they were basically living in like a parking lot and begging. Um, Now they have their own little village. (laughs) And that's considered great. Um, There was an activist, an Ati activist named Dexter Condes, who was killed in 2013 um, for demanding land rights for the Atis on Boracay. Um, And that's the Philippines, where you do have some specific space for, for dealing with this kind of thing versus the Andaman Islands. So you know, it's happened before. That's why it's kind of a good idea. And p- many environmental and human rights activists are on it um, to keep our eye on what's happening in little Andaman, you know, just as much as people kept their eye on what happened to one American in the Andaman Islands.
0: I find it, you know, it's especially sad uh, when you understand, uh, have an understanding and for, appreciation for what indigenous uh life is like especially hunter-gatherer uh, um life the the richness and the the knowledge um the relationships and the mechanisms that they have um to live in a way that is uh egalitarian um that had, that resolves conflict uh, peacefully for the most part and also does not uh th- that is integrated into the the greater community of of life of the place and then to be reduced to living in a parking lot is is just it's just it's too much <laughs> it's just it's too much to bear like uh it's too painful and then to be and then to be insulted too, and say, "Well, you know, you need development and progress, and you need uh, education and these things." It's it's just um, we've got it. This civilization just has it all wrong, and so many levels.
1: Yeah, and not not only living in the parking lot, but still maintaining all those values that you described. Basically, you know, and being gender egalitarian as the the chief of the parking lot people you know it was a woman who was the head person um which is this kind of thing it was very common throughout all those cultures you know you know and then at the same time they were yeah they were being derided as beggars and the begging thing it was like it was a form of going out in your environment and seeing what you could get you know They <laughs> like just thought well you know we're in a city now so you know what are some of the things you can do well you can hang out on the sidewalk with your kids and people give you stuff you know it was this totally practical decisions people were making you know out of their own culture so
2: yeah
0: Hekwin any um, questions or thoughts?
2: Yeah that's really shocking about the Andaman. Hopefully, uh, this is the first time I've heard about it. Hopefully, the news can get out, and so there'll be even greater uproar to to cause the Indian government to reconsider. It would be yeah, really appalling.
1: Yeah, they, there are some very good advocates and activists in the Andaman Islands, and about the Andaman Islands, so they do have a, a good support network.
0: Just to draw some Parallels uh, the same thing happens in in the Americas when uh, you know there's when the price of oil went so high that fracking became you know a, a reasonable option. So then let's pump all these chemicals into the ground and destroy everything and run this through a pipeline that goes right through the reserves that we've uh, you know we said that this is your this is yours and uh, we'll they are you know we won't interfere in, in what happens here. Mm-hmm. And that, Oh, you know what? <laughs> Move over pipeline. It's uh, yeah, I, I, as, um, as much as I, as I hope for, um, things to, to, for good outcomes, it, uh, unfortunately it, history is, or even recent events, uh, show us that, uh, that the state just doesn't stop. It, the civilization won't end uh, as long as it's on re- operating on the narrative um, that it is the same narrative that holds these people as inferior. It uh, it just will continue.
1: Yeah, it it will end the hard way.
0: Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. And uh, one thing I'd like to bring up too is um, you you mentioned the the Ita or the, I forget which people you mentioned, but the ones in Borokai the, you know they, they they're they're continuing um, practices of egalitarianism and and I remember reading in uh, I believe uh, I'm not sure exactly where I read it but uh, when when one of the um, Batek men I believe it was Batek asked why they didn't fire um, bl- poison blow darts at the uh, you know pursuing slave raiders uh, who had you know killed uh, their people and taking their taking them off into slavery why didn't you you know Defend yourself. Why didn't you kill when you shoot back? And they said, well, we didn't want to hurt them. You know?
1: Yeah, there were, there were botex a few years ago. Some uh, Malaysian university researchers um, were, were going to you know see what their, their botanical medicines were, you know, And then somebody said, well, you know, you guys have to be careful of that because they'll rip you off. You know, they'll take your botanical medicine and they'll go off and make money off it. Um, You know, it's some pharmaceutical company. And the biotech said, well, that's okay. Why would we want money for something that would make people better? You know, this is just from nature. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This is just what we help each other with, you know. So, yeah, there's a, a... Pretty uh, cool um, worldview, often often in play there.
0: So, what's
1: what's money for?
0: Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, it's unfortunate that at the
1: same time they would be taken advantage of completely. Because Mm -hmm. yeah,
0: I I think they they must look at us like we're completely just. There's there's something complete. There's just something missing. You know, there's there's more than a few screws loose. If you could do the things that uh, they see people from our c- civilization doing, you know, just cutting down uh, swaths of forest or you know, killing um, domestic animals. It, it, another. Uh, I went with um, a friend of mine who's also a journalist. Uh, uh, from Satun in Thailand and we visited some people that he knew and he'd made a small documentary about them um some money people and he asked you know th- this is where I saw the the tourists being brought in by a local kayaking um tour operator and uh they were giving them chicken and chips and uh sweets and things like that and cakes and after they left uh you know we're sitting there and my friend asked him, well, why don't you raise chickens? You know, why, why, why do you, why don't you do that? You know? And, uh, the man said, well, I, we couldn't kill the chicken if we raised it. You know? So, yeah, <laughs> of course, of course not. <laughs> and <It's a> <laughs> yeah. Right
1: yeah yeah it's t- totally it's totally a pet in your family yeah mm-hmm. yeah that they, yeah there's so many stories of these people being given yeah, domestic animals for, for the betterment of their life and they they just um wander around but yeah they they they, they didn't want to kill them
0: <laughs> well there's so many tangents we could go on um talking about this i, I love the I love this subject uh, especially we can continue or but I also wanted to ask about um what's going on in Myanmar specifically you mentioned the Mokan uh people um were somehow yeah. involved in the protests as well.
1: Yeah so of course and um February 2021. i now I'm back to 24/7 uh, Myanmar Burma um, obsession, <laughs> and uh, you know there's been this massive protest against the coup with the military in Burma all over the country, and basically uh, the general who took over has a history of doing terrible things like the genocide of the Rohingya people and he has a history of spinning it one way or another to get away with it. And um, (laughs) at a point in this, my concern was that that guy was going to spin his military coup as being like from the people, the real people, you know, versus these protesters in the cities, you know, because you've you've seen, um, you know, very, urban kids with funny signs and you know prom dresses and costumes and stuff, you know, parading around in the big cities. Um, but the real, you know, the real people of your country are with the military. Well that has been that's totally thrown out the window because there's farmers and, you know, farmer hats with farming equipment marching, you know, there's fishermen on their boats with signs against the coup all over the country and it's um, there've been protests in the most remote mountain areas and um, chin state where it's just the most, most recent part of the country that I've been in in 2016 way up in the mountains. And then the other night I saw an, um, somebody posted on Twitter, um, a picture from it's called Lampi Marine park. Um, well, that's kind of, we could also get on the topic of indigenous people and in parks, because they're often in or around parks, but they never seem to get to actually run the parks.
0: Oh, it's terrible. They
1: but there they are. So the, the, the Moken sea um, nomadic people are there. And there are some of them, they're pictured in a photograph supporting the anti-coup pro-democracy movement, so they're on it too, Um, and it was nice to see them. Um, They've been kind of commodified for tourism. Um, They're also marginalized by Japanese pearl farming in that area. Um, there's about 3,000 of them in um, Yama and Burma. They speak kind of Malay related language. Um, and um, they're people that I've sort of paid a lot of attention to over the years. Um, so, anyway, so there they were while I was looking at all this Burma stuff, and there were the Moken people on their beach which is really, of course, their beach. They say, Whose beach? Their beach.
2: Oh, that's really fascinating. So I've got a question about that. I know the Rohingya would not uh, recognize as one of the official <laughs> ethnic groups in uh, Myanmar. Uh, is it the same for the Mokin?
1: Um, yeah, uh, the, uh, they call them this salon in, um, in Burmese, so Myanmar. Um, they are recognized, you know, in this kind of trivial, marginalized way. You know, they have, like films about them, and they're part of, they're not considered illegal aliens like the um, Rohingyas have been made into, even though they've got centuries and centuries of residence in the same place in Myanmar. Um, so a somewhat different status, but they're really precarious. So there's very few of them, and um, it's been really difficult for them.
0: They used to obviously uh, have a much greater range as well. Um, the government yeah. of Thailand settling some of them, and then Myanmar yeah. not wanting them to cross borders, and so on, and the, the usual state uh, procedures. But uh, yeah. are they? Are they? Uh, uh, I imagine they're also egalitarian um, peoples. Uh,
1: as far as I know, yes, and um, you know, and really would spend most of their lives on a on a boat, one way or the other. Um, I've never met any. I've been that I know of, anyway. Uh, I've been in the Andaman Sea with other ethnic groups, the Mon's in some of that region where some of their little camps on islands might be. So I can kind of visualize the place where they live. Um, now there's sort of these scuba diving tours that could go around there. And then right around when that was starting up, some of them got settled onto a particular island by the government, which was very problematic. Um, so yeah there I would say their their security is still not very good
0: it's um imagining just what life must have how beautiful life must have been for for them and and to some extent still is just the the geography in the uh, Andaman Sea is just so beautiful and uh you know um in america um uh, and and western thought we western philosophy you know the idea of individual freedom and freedom is so highly um uh touted and uh, these are the most free people that are, this is the most free that people live you know in in either hunter-gatherer society or or um i guess the uh the sea people are also could be classified as a hunter gatherer type of people, um, just on the ocean. And it's, it's, a uh, it's a shame that, um, unfortunately what ha- was happened to them? Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's a little ironic that there, they were holding up signs for a government that hadn't been particularly good to them and, you know, that, that they didn't really need, um, they, a delegation of them had gone up to the capital city, and this is under the somewhat democratic government a couple of years ago to, to object to the Japanese pearl farming. Um, so at least they had they were able to do that, which under the military, forget it. Um, so they could probably see that, well, there were advantages to having a particular government over another government, but in general, I think... Um, the whole concept is not something that they would have signed on for in the first place hmm I
0: think uh, maybe I'm not sure if they were young people, but uh it uh it's hard not to get swept up in a social media uh thing as well as and 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 the times the the gravity of the situation you know, especially for maybe some younger folks um, want to just be part of part of the movement. Um, I had some maybe more personal questions, uh, Techwin, if you had any, did you have anything to add to that? Oh, so I just wanted to know, um, how you personally deal with all the things you've, you know, the. it's hard for me and people are always telling me, Oh, you're always so negative. You're always bringing up these negative stuff. Like what does it do for you to know these things? Like, how does that, how do you deal with that?
1: Well, I've been doing it for a really, really, really long time. And I have been doing it regarding Burma, then called, you know, Myanmar after that. And things uh, just get worse and worse and worse in, in this array of different ways. Um, so I'm used to that. I'm used to corruption, so it's not like this romantic thing like, oh, these people are, you know, for this cause or something. They've got to be perfect and then you're disturbed by it when they are. I know they're, they're not, nobody's perfect in it. You know, so I have all that experience. Um, with that said, um, I live in Portland, Oregon in the United States, um, known as an anarchist jurisdiction is what the United States government called it last summer. <laughs> And so I was out on the streets with my husband um, night after night in marches and direct actions, which were considered riots um, by the federal and local police here. And um, so seeing that kind of unfold in my city, where there were enormous threats of violence here, um, which is still nothing compared to what people are facing in Myanmar, nothing compared to it. You know, Hong Kong, Portland, Bangkok, all the tear gas combined is nothing compared to what the Burmese army is gonna do to you if they feel like it. Um, Sometimes watching the protests In in Thailand and then in Myanmar, I kind of do have like a physical reaction to it where I can just feel my feet on the ground there you know and I mean it would be nice for me to be up in the chin hills with the motorcycle kids you know with their signs against the dictatorship and to experience firsthand but this one it's not mine it's theirs you know the foreigners don't have to be there this is all theirs and um so I just can do my part you know and Twitter or whatever, um, you know, amplifying things and providing some historical background, which I guess now I'm like so old that um, like the stuff I did in the 80s is history. <laughs> it's kind of like how World War II felt to me in the 80s, you know. Um, so I have some advantages that I can, you know, contribute to it in a way. So it doesn't make me just feel like, you know, history is happening without me while I'm stuck in Portland, Oregon. Um, History came to us and it was happening here all summer and all fall with Black Lives Matter protests. And now history is happening, you know, on the streets of of Mandalay and Nipieda and Yangon. So...
0: (laughs) I, I forgot that, uh, you're in Portland for a moment where you're probably surrounded with a lot of, um, sympathetic ears. Whereas, uh, Techwin and I, I'm not sure how it is over <laughs> there in Selangor, but you know, if you bring up some sort of thing here, they're just like, why aren't you talking about uh, mutual funds, you know, or real estate? Like that's what really matters. Okay, Phil, stop bringing us down. Stop. Where's your SUV? You know, that's the price of gas. Whereas uh Portland, you know, I'm I, I heard uh I'm, i like uh, John Zerzan's writings quite a lot and uh he's in Portland too, or somewhere near Portland, I heard. But we're not uh we don't look down on anarchism here at all, do we, Techwin? <laughs> um yeah. But,
1: you know, there there is there is um SUVs and real estate in Portland, actually. There's some. But
0: I'm I'm sure yeah. there I'm sure there is <laughs> just,
1: just a little bit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um uh, but yeah, the, back to anarchism. Anarchism is such a dirty, you know. It's it's like it's this word, like okay, you're an anar, you know, anar. Everything's gonna go to anarchy, you know. And, but um, anarchy is actually um, a beautiful state to, to live in if, if if done right, and it has been done right by the Ita people, the Batek, the Maya, the Mani the Mokan and um, anarchy is. Uh, that's a whole nother, um wonderful discussion we could have. But um, maybe your thoughts on anarchy um, as we're maybe reaching the hour mark, if you have any.
1: Um, that, that's almost too ideological for me, but um, okay. you, should have, you, should have, you should have Jim Scott on. Um, All so right. totally, he, he could talk about that topic. He's got a terrific book called Three Cheers for Anarchy.
0: Jim um, Scott you know. was if it?
1: I, if I ever like had a, a gun to my head and I had to choose an ideology, it would be the A word. Okay,
0: <laughs> all right. Well, I mean, uh, I don't know if the, um, the actual people who live in anarchy uh, have a word for it. You know, they 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 just live. Yeah. You know. Yeah but Not for us is the
1: forest.
0: yeah yeah and <laughs> yeah. we we need uh we need terms like negrito and anarchy to you know for our for our discussions here and for convenience but um yeah as we reached uh an hour i don't know if there's any things that still on your mind that you'd like to share or take when you have any questions so. Oh,
2: it was really nice. We had a, a very wide-ranging discussion. Of course, scratched the surface on some things, but uh, yeah, I was really fascinated to hear about all of uh, your experiences in this part of the world. And and yeah, it's it's it's, it's troubling what's happening in Myanmar. But great to, that people like you are are keeping a close. Uh, Iron on things. I think it's so important. Uh, and perhaps this will be the difference. Hopefully it will be the difference between what happened in the, the 80s and the 90s is that now there's if, uh, with the internet, there's even uh, greater scrutiny and hopefully the generals won't be able to get away with what they got away with last time.
1: Yeah, I think this is this is a turning point um, for sure in Myanmar, and then um, in general. You know, I'm absolutely not an academic. Um, I'm an artist and a writer, and. Uh, some academic when my the wind and the bamboo came out said you know well, what's the argument of your book and I didn't know books had to have an argument but i guess that's an academic thing and i'm not a big arguer but right off the top of my head i said indigenous people need land rights and so that's what really at the end of the day or the middle of the day or whatever it is for you guys um That's what I have to say, is that Indigenous people need land rights.
0: And so thank
1: you so much, Philippe and Techwin, for having me on. It's a fantastic podcast. Um, I enjoyed Ivan on there um, recently. And um, I'll look forward to all your other podcasts.
0: Well, thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Edith's work or buy uh, her books, you can visit her website. I've added a link in the description. She's written two more books, Burmese Looking Glass and Down the Rat Hole, also dealing with Myanmar. And if you'd like to reach out to us, you can email us at huntergathererspodcast at protonmail.com.